0: Hello from the members of Royce City Methodist Church. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're blessed by this message today. You're invited to join us for worship anytime. You can learn more about our worship options, locations, and how to get plugged into the life of our church by visiting our website, RoyceCityMethodist.life. Today, we hear from our senior pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Oh God, you do hold our hands and whatever may be going through or happening in our lives, we thank God that you are with us and that we never have to experience life without you. We have to admit sometimes we do but that is because we have strayed from you. Bring us closer to you draw us to your presence, and let us live fully in your love and your grace. So God, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So this is the Second Sunday of Lent, and we started a series last week called Jesus the Stranger. And, and the purpose of this series is, is to, to take a look at, at Scripture and see how sometimes those in Scripture we, we got, had just missed who Jesus was, they, they didn't fully understand what he was saying and what he was talking about, which is honestly something that we do in our own lives. We, we hear the teachings of Jesus, we, 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 we see the teachings of Jesus, but sometimes we still miss the mark, e- even, even me, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a, prone to that, I, I'm, I'm able to do that as well. Last week we started with a question that Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? and we heard how people had different answers of who Jesus was and and Peter was the one that came out and said you are the Messiah and another gospel it says this, you are the Messiah the son of the living God making that bold proclamation but yet even Peter after making that proclamation he kind of missed the mark after that too well well today we're we're going to be looking at another question and honestly if I really thought about it I could have probably called this sermon series Questions More Than Jesus the Stranger because that was an integral part of Jesus' ministry. I just came across a book recently by Martin Copenhaver, and the title of the book is Jesus is the Question. And the reason why he titled the book this way is because when Jesus was teaching throughout the Gospels, we see that he asked 307 questions to those that were around him. 307 questions. I knew he asked a lot of questions, but you know, when you actually sit down and you count them down, that's quite a lot of questions. In, in contrast, Jesus was only asked 183 questions. So, so Jesus asked a whole lot more questions than he was asked of himself. Now here's the kicker. Not only was Jesus only asked 183 questions, he only answered three of them. He would do other things. He would ask a question in response, or, or, or he would teach, or he would do other things, but, but he wanted to make sure that people lived inside those questions. What are those three times that Jesus answered the question is our scripture for today. But before we get into uh, Mark chapter 12, I think it's good for us to take a look back at Mark chapter 11, starting at verse 27. In this particular passage, Jesus is being surrounded by the Pharisees, the scribes, and the the teachers of the law, and and they are, are coming at him with a question. And that question was, what authority do you have to do all this stuff that you're doing? So what does Jesus do? He lobs a question right back at them. And in, in, in Mark eleven, verse thirty, he asked, John's baptism, was it from heaven or was it of human origin? And I, I love it when Jesus asks a question because my, my mind just starts going off in different directions, kind of imaging it and seeing it how it goes in my mind. And, and, and I can see all the scribes and the Pharisees doing, doing this little holy huddle thing where they, they gather around and, and they start talking and they're trying to, to figure out what to say. And, and we get kind of an insight of what they're trying to say. Some of them say, well, you know, if we say that it's not from heaven... Or, or if we say that it is from heaven, then we're basically saying that he has the authority to do what he wants to do. And the other side says, well, if we say that there is no authority, then that means that, that John was just making things up, and, and the people around here, which there's a lot, they, they consider John to be a prophet, and, and that just won't bode well with us. We'll, we'll get in big trouble if we do that. So, so they give Jesus the answer that we see many times in Scripture. We don't know. We don't, we don't know what authority he has or has been given to do this. And then Jesus comes back and says, well, then I'm not going to tell you what authority I have. And then he launches into this parable. Our Scripture is from Mark chapter 12, verses one through 12, I invite you to follow along in your Bibles, or if you have the words, uh, we'll have the words up on the screen for you to follow as well. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to tenants to collect from them and some of the fruits of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and then one they killed. He sent many others, and then some of them were beat, others were killed. And then he only had one left to send, a son, whom he loved. He sent him, last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected had become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of a crowd. So they left him and went away. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> you know, there's something about Jesus' parables. They're, they're, they're spoken in such a way that you can look at them and, and, and shake your head and have full agreement, but then you can also look at them and, and, and just start to scratch your head. Why in the world did Jesus use this language to talk about the relationship between him and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees? Well, I think first and foremost, Jesus wanted to get the point across to those teachers and to those listening that the man who planted the vineyard was God. That, 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 that's who gave the vineyard. That, that's who allowed for this place to be built with, with the, with the watchtower to protect it, with the wine press to make sure that, that the, the grapes would be able to be crushed and, and, and made into wine. The, the man who, who set all of this up was God. And, and Jesus was, was taking a little point just a little bit farther, that, that the vineyard wasn't just a, a place It wasn't just a a specific location. The vineyard is the kingdom of God. And, And that the people were invited to be a part of what God was doing within the kingdom of God. I know if you've been around, you've heard me say over and over again, the kingdom of God Jesus preached was there among the people of Israelites because Jesus was there. And the kingdom of God is right here and right now, and we are continued to be invited to be a part of this kingdom. What had happened is that those that he had rented out the vineyard to, they, they took advantage of it. They, they took advantage of it, and they said that that this vineyard, while... This guy over here may have created it, and he's no longer here. It's now ours. And and we are going to take advantage of this property. But over the span of hundreds and thousands of years, God sent prophets to, to, to come to the people in the vineyard and to say, look, you need to, to give some of the proceeds back to the king or, or, or to the man who created this. And, and those that were a part of the vineyard ignored them, beat them, killed them. So finally he said his son. And, and this is really what got the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law upset because they knew that Jesus was talking about himself. He was the son that was sent. And the people of the vineyard not only ignored the son, but handed him over to be killed. Jesus foretelling what will happen to him. And then retribution would happen. Because Jesus was, was forsaken and Jesus was killed, the father would take back what belongs to To him, I tell you, whenever I take a look at parables, I I have a tendency to say, "Boy, I am, I am so glad that I would never do what it was that those those leasing the property would do. I, I I would have listened, I I would have heard, I, I would have done what it was that I needed to do. But then I have to sit there and think, what I have really." Or maybe the question honestly should be, have I done that? See, the problem starts with the actual rejection. It starts when we understand that the Pharisees saw that the vineyard was theirs and not God's. And I think that also happens now when we have a tendency to look at what we have and and where we are as ours and not God. There are many ways that we can do that. One of the ways that we do that is that we take a look at the the gifts and graces that we have and we think that it's all about us, That, 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 that we are the ones that are able to make things happen. And while we do have a part in God's kingdom, and, and there's things that we play, and, and there's things that we do, but we need to understand that the gifts that we have are given to us by our creator. And he calls us to use those gifts in a way to bring honor and glory to God and to God's kingdom. There was something that really disturbed me about sports programming or, or sports interviews. And, and the thing that always bothered me is at the end of the game, you always have a, a, a player come up to the microphone and, and that player says, I just want to thank God for helping us win this game today. You know, and I always said to myself, you know that. I think God has a little bit more to worry about than who's going to win a, a football game because I can guarantee you there are people on the other team praying the exact same prayer that they would actually win the game. But, but something has happened recently that has made me kind of rethink that in a way. and I, I'm, I'm going to kind of share that with you and I, I may be totally wrong, but that hasn't stopped me before. <laughs> So, you all know that I'm a Kansas boy, and I grew up and am a big Kansas State University fan. And this this past year, Kansas State hired a new basketball coach by the name of Jerome Tang. And and Jerome Tang, he was an assistant basketball coach for Baylor for about 20 years. And, And he finally got his very first head coaching job at Kansas State. And, and I started to listen to him, even from his opening press conference. He, he started using words that were a lot different that, that I would hear basketball coaches use. And one of the things that he would say has really kind of flipped my understanding on, on how we give thanks to God for the gifts that we have. He would always say, even after a win or a loss, yes, Alan, they did lose yesterday, so don't rub that in on me, okay? He always say, I just want to thank God for the opportunity I have to, to work with these young men. I just want to thank God for the opportunity to be a part of this university because God is using me to, to help these people see him. somebody from a Big 12 basketball school that's not Baylor is professing his faith openly, saying, I want to thank God for the opportunity to share what God has given me to help others. He's saying, it's not me that's doing it, it's God that has given me the opportunity. And one of the things that I've seen as he has done this, it has started to bleed throughout the entire team. Anytime that the team has an interview, they say the exact same thing. I am so thankful that God has given me the opportunity to play. I am so thankful that God has given me an opportunity to, to work with these other people. I am so thankful that God has given me the opportunity. I think that's what this is all about. It's not about trying to take credit for wins or to avoid losses, but it's just saying God has given us a, a vineyard, if you will, if you will. A, a, a kingdom that, that we have a part of and that we are able to participate in and we are giving things that God has given us the opportunity to be fully a part of that kingdom. That we have the opportunity to, to use the gifts that God has given us and we are able to turn those gifts back to him so he gets all the honor, glory, and praise. There are so many times I know in in my own life that I have looked at what I have done and said, boy, give me a good old pat on the back there for that. But the fact of the matter is there is absolutely no way that I could have done that if it weren't for the love and grace of Jesus Christ. It is so easy for us to take pride in what we have as a church and not give thanks for what God has given us. God has given each and every one of us a gift. And and that gift is a gift to be used. That, that, That gift is a gift to share with others. First Peter four ten says, As each one of us have received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That the gifts that we have are gifts that we are to share to, to share God's magnificent grace so that people can be invited to the vineyard, to be invited to the kingdom where they can experience, where they can discover, where they can then use the gifts that God has so graciously given them. That's why I like the communion table. Because the communion table gives us the opportunity to participate in what God is doing. Uh, we're in the middle of confirmation right now. And I'm not going to embarrass the conferman that's here today because she would hate me for that and not speak to me ever again. But recently, we talked about the sacraments, what baptism is, and what, what Holy Communion is. And, and one of the things that, that, that well, what, thanksgiving, what communion does, it is a continued act of thanksgiving. It is a continued act of thanksgiving that we participate every time we come to this table and we give thanks to God for giving us his son who, who died on the cross for each and every one of us. And it is through his blood and through the, the collective body of Christ that when we share in this meal, we are saying, God, I give you thanks for what you have given me, and I am going to, in turn, take that out into the world to be a disciple of yours so that others may see your love and grace through me. So today, as you come to this table, I want you to come smiling. I want you to come thankful. Because no matter what situation you may be going through in your life right now, God loves you. God cares for you. God wants the best for you. And through his love and through his grace and through his mercy, the gifts that he has given you, no matter how long you have to use those gifts, will be a blessing for others to experience God's love in and through you. Let us pray. Oh God, as we prepare to receive this this holy meal, as we participate in this holy mystery of communion, we ask that you just guide us and lead us to fully live in your vineyard, to fully live in your, ki- in your kingdom and the gifts and the fruits of that kingdom help us to turn that back over to you so that you may bless them and you may use them for people to come and know you. God, I pray that as we come to the table, And as we open our hands to receive this gift of bread and wine, that you just allow us to see your love for us. And then share that love with others. And we pray this. In the name of the one who loves us and cares for us, Jesus our Lord. Amen.